Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so excited what we're going to do for the next seven episodes with Jeff Dorn. It's not going to be seven weeks in a row, but it's going to be every other week. We're going to cover uh, end times and we're going to do it over the course of seven episodes. So I'm excited. We're going to uh, start today. And Jeff is a longtime friend and Bible teacher and mentor. And I always uh, first Jeff is one of the first people I go to when I have a question, and he always responds quickly, and I always appreciate that. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into this. I can hardly wait. I think today we're gonna kind of start with a thirty thousand foot overview. Well, yeah, we should start out at a high level, right? There's, <laughs> I agree. You know, I describe the end times as a giant puzzle. Mm-hmm. And there's so many pieces all over the all over Scripture that we need to put together, and so I think the best way to do it in my classes that I teach, I teach actually a semester-long class on the end times. So, uh, and I I like to give the students homework so that they get their noses in the Word of God and they struggle with putting the pieces together before they come to class. But obviously, this is not a classroom environment, so I think the best way to do this in in this radio format is to kind of give a little overview and purpose and then a kind of a 30,000 foot level in this first just first to lesson. get things started. Yes, we're going to we're going to go deep over the course of these seven episodes. So I'm excited. So let's get going. Well, I think one of the things that we have to do right off the bat is kind of discuss the current situation. I've been teaching the end times for 20 years, right? And I think there are people today right now just because of the situation that we're in that people are wondering, wow, is, it, is this the end? I mean, the, the 2020 has been a very kind of stressful year for a lot of people, but I think we got to remember a couple of things with, you know, with COVID and lockdowns and uh, vaccines and elections and, you know, big tech and all the things that are in the headline. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And there have been times in world history where things have looked very, very bleak. I mean, we've had two world wars, for goodness sakes. Um, In the time of Paul, though, I just want to touch on, in the time of Paul, Israel was under foreign occupation, right, by Rome. And in Rome, the Roman emperor demanded to be worshipped as a god. There is no god but Caesar was the line, right? Mm -hmm. And yet in that circumstance, Paul said this, I give thanks in all circumstances. First Thessalonians 5 says, be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So whatever the situation is out in the world, uh, and Paul found himself in a much worse situation than I think we will find ourselves in the United States of America. I mean, we're still one of the freest countries in the world. Um, you know, the first century Christians never said, oh, my goodness, what is this world coming to? <laughs> mm-hmm. They proclaimed who has come to this world. And I think we just need to remember the core mission of the church 
the core mission of the church is the proclamation of the gospel. Amen. Uh, and to save individuals mm-hmm. out of this world and not save the systems and structures and governments and stuff in this world. When Jesus comes back a second time and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, as it says in Zechariah, he is going to establish that perfect kingdom. In the meantime, we're stuck with governments run by men, a world run by people who are fallen. We live in a fallen world. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. I don't know why we expect the fallen world not to act fallen. Yeah, good point. Uh, An old pastor friend of mine said this one time in a a sermon, he said, just remember, there's no final victory in this life. The final victory comes when Christ returns as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then that's when he establishes his perfect, righteous Mm. kingdom. That's what we're going to talk about. We could stop right now and I would feel like I, like I've gotten my money's worth, but I insist that we don't stop right now. You know, it's, I think we all know this inherently, right? Uh, Jesus said he's coming back, Mm -hmm. but I want this time that we have over the next several sessions to remind us that that's, we should live with that hope in mind. It is a, it is a, this study, one of the reasons why we studied the end times, there's lots of reasons why we studied the end times, but one of them is it is literally a study of our hope. It's a study of our, our inheritance. It's a study of our glorification. It's a study of our eternal life. Yeah. I think there's too many Christians, Bill, that that don't have the details about eternity. Their picture is something like, you know, floating on a cloud with some wings playing a harp. Do you know how to play the harp? I don't. Not yet, anyway. I don't either. No. And I don't I don't know that I can do... Would you get excited about no. just sitting on a cloud no. for all of eternity? No. But yeah. Do you know that there's a literal, tangible kingdom that is going to be forever? And I, I think the more we understand our future, our inheritance, our eternal life, the more real it becomes today for us right now. So um, that's why I love to study the end times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when uh, a good friend, not a good friend, a, a, one of my favorite commentators, a guy by the name of Clarence Larkin, he lived 100 years ago, and he said in his book called Dispensational Truth, wonderful book, he's got charts and stuff, and I found it after I started studying the end times, and it's amazing to compare his all of his charts to, to my charts. He was an, a draftsman, an artist. His are beautiful. I'm a computer guy, so all mine are just like you know PowerPoint presentations and stuff like that. But um, he said this about the mission of the church. The purpose of the gospel in this dispensation, in this time, in this church age, is not to save society, but to save the, save the individual members that are to comprise the body, the church. And I think when we look at Acts chapter 1, for example, Jesus is going up to heaven. Jesus is ascending before his disciples. Remember the last question his disciples asked him right before he went up to heaven? He said, Jesus, are you now going to establish your kingdom? So Jesus had died. He'd resurrected. He rose to life again. He appeared for 40 some odd days, 40 days on the earth. And and by the way, we'll talk about all those resurrection appearances because it gives us a glimpse into our resurrected body, by the way, because we, we're going to receive a resurrected body just like Christ's resurrected body. And in his resurrected body, he is caught up to heaven right before their eyes. 
and he goes up. So Acts 111, men of Galilee, they said, what? the angels come down and say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taking, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, we already learned a lot about Jesus' second coming by, by his first, by his departure after his first coming. And that is that he is going to return bodily and physically and visibly back to earth. Now, that scene in Acts chapter 1, where he goes up to heaven, actually happens on the Mount of Olives. And I was in Jerusalem. The last time I was in Jerusalem, I've been there three times. We were sitting up on the top of this uh, restaurant, up on the patio, having lunch. I'm eating my falafel, (laughs) Israel Mm -hmm. kind of dish for lunch. And I'm, we're in the old city of David, and I'm looking past the Temple Mount, down the Kidron Valley, through the Garden of Gethsemane, up to the Mount of Olives, which is on the other side. And it's like, uh, and I'm sitting there taking a bite, and all of a sudden I just kind of freeze. And I go, oh my goodness, this is, this is it. This is the spot. That is where Jesus went up. That's where Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years. And it, it was a moment that I'll never forget. It just kind of overwhelmed me that of the reality of not only Jesus is going up to heaven, which is what we base our, base our faith on, right? That Christ died, was buried, and he rose again and ascended into heaven is at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe that uh, and trust in Christ for your salvation, God says you're saved. But he's also coming back to that very spot. And so Revelation 19 is one of my favorite passages, because this is at the end of the book. I guess we start with the end, right? Mm -hmm. All the way at the back of the book of Revelation. And it says this. I want to read this passage. I'm in verse uh, 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Do you know know who those armies are? Uh, Us. Us. Those are us. Did you know you get your own white horse? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. Do you, know, you, you know what my horse's name is? I've already named him. What's your horse's name? Thunder. 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 Jeff's on Thunder. I like Jeff it. Thunder. I like that. It's got a yeah. ring to it. All right. Yeah. yeah, we get our own white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I feel embarrassed now that mine's Scooter. Jesus. Scooter? Yeah. <laughs> now I feel embarrassed because <laughs> you have a cooler name. Well, you know, you've got a few years. You can change it. <laughs> All right. can't take, don't take Thunder. Uh, all right, we'll take Thunder. Verse 15, back to Jesus. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He doesn't come back as a little baby in a manger, mm-hmm. riding on a donkey no. into Jerusalem. No, he. this next time, he comes in judgment and wages war and treads the winepress. His eyes are aflame, a sword coming out of his mouth. 
and he destroys the armies of the world, and he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. That's the Jesus that's coming back. That is an uh, at the end of the overwhelming, end. powerful thought. It's a it's a picture. I have a, actually a painting of this scene, and uh, yeah, it's a powerful. I show it in my class, and mm-hmm. it's Christ riding on a horse with the armies following him. Nice. The, with his eyes and the sword and, and the whole thing. It's a powerful image. i got to see that picture. All right, Jeff, let me take a little break. We're going to continue our series with Jeff Verdorn on End Times. This is going to be a seven-part series, and this is uh, part one. So after a short break, we'll be right back. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're talking about end times. We're going to do this over the course of seven uh, sessions every other Tuesday. Today will be session one, and we're just covering why study end times. And Jeff, we're off to a good start, so thank you. Well, you bet. So we we just read the second coming, when Jesus is going to come back. And and actually, I, I mentioned this earlier on, but just a reminder, when he does come back, he comes right back to the Mount of Olives and Zechariah indicates that his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and that's where he comes back to. So the very spot that he left, he's coming back. But then there's some other verses in the Bible. and So this is one of the main themes that we'll have to cover over the next several weeks, because we have passages such as John 14 that describe Jesus coming back, but they sound different. In the Revelation 19 passage, he's coming to, to in wrath to tread the wine press in judgment with a sword and so on. But let me read this description. John 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That doesn't sound a lot like Revelation 19 now, does it? No. In one, we have this picture of of judgment and wrath and treading the winepress. And on this passage in John 14, we have this picture of Jesus coming back to take us up to be where he is also. So we're going to find that that is called the rapture, and it's described in the New Testament in many different places, and we will study those specific incidents where Jesus catches up his church to be with him, and we will need to compare and contrast that to his actual second coming when he returns to earth with the armies of heaven following him. And Jeff, of course, that can be a controversial topic but we will do our very best to connect the dots and have a strong argument for a certain position. Absolutely. Okay. So there is one of the things I was going to get to, I'll get to it now is when I started this class a few, a few years ago, um, I actually received a magazine in the article and it, it was a cover story of a, a magazine called Israel, my glory, a great publication, a very biblical publication. And the cover of it is whatever happened to the rapture. And the tagline is, what, are, what ever happened to the once popular theology, 
why do so many evangelicals now consider this controversial? And it's, it's fascinating to me because I think the New Testament clearly teaches the concept of our being gathered up to, uh, to Christ in the air. Mm-hmm. But there have been some, um, and, and some well-known folks, that have said things like this. I want to quote one pastor, commentator. When the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus, Jesus quickly switched the conversation to evangelism. He wanted them to concentrate on their mission in this world. He said, in essence, the details of my return are none of your business. What is your business is the mission that I have for you. Focus on that. He goes on to say, anyone who lets himself be distracted by studying biblical prophecy from the work I have planned for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Well, I, I just fundamentally disagree with this kind of logic. If the, it's, it's the date of the end times, that's none of our business. There's actually tons of details in the Bible about the end times. As we're going to find out, we're going to spend time in, in the major prophets and the minor prophets and Deuteronomy and Psalms and virtually every book of the New Testament, as well as the book of, of Revelation. Um, the, the details of God's end times, of, of his plan for the end of the age, is all over Scripture. And so if you're not going to study what God has told us about you need to cut out, and some folks have estimated that a, a, about a third of the passages in the Bible are prophetic in some way, and much of that is prophetic about God's kingdom and his second coming and the time of tribulation that's coming upon the world and so on. Um, so you kind of have to just kind of ignore a whole bunch of passages of the Bible if you're just going to forget about God's plan for the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And then it says, he says that we're not fit for the kingdom of heaven if we're distracted by this. Well, I fundamentally think that we are fit for the kingdom of heaven by one uh, simple biblical word, and that is faith. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved and you're fit for the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't, then you're not. But it has become um, somewhat more controversial over the years. I've been teaching this for, like I said, I think over 20 years. When I first started teaching. Actually, I took a, a two-year Revelation class, and then I took a one-year Daniel class, and then I taught those classes, and I quickly realized not everybody has three years to devote to the study of the end times, right? So mm-hmm. I, I took all this material, and I made a semester course out of it that I teach at various locations, including my church, and uh, and then we're going to try to condense it a little bit more into a high level in the next seven sessions. But one of the things that I found, 36%, only 36% of people today Pastors today believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and that compares to about half of the evangelical church members believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, various other views have you know, anywhere between 5 and 15% views. So a pre-trib rapture is still the most common belief in the in Protestant evangelical kind of circles, mm-hmm. uh, but the percentages have gone down since—do you remember the Left Behind series? I do. Yeah, that came out, I, I can't remember exactly, but about 20 years ago, when I first started teaching this class, a lot of people have read that story that has a strong pre-tribulation view in it. Tim Mohey wrote those stories, great stories. Um, and it was it was popular. Um, but you know what? Even though pastors are not teaching this as much in churches, I don't know, you know, whatever churches you go to, uh, when's the last time they really taught about the details of the rapture, the end time, God's plan, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial kingdom, and so on? Um, but every time I offer this class, I get large 
crowds. I mean, I get, uh, you know, a lot of people signing up for these classes. So people are still very interested in, in this topic. And that doesn't surprise me at all. No, I think that it's, it's one of these things that, you I mean, you can tell me the future. You can tell me what's going to happen. I mean, I remember, Bill, when I first started taking these classes, I would come home to my wife and I'd say, God's told us what's going to happen. Why is this stuff not on 2020 or 60 <laughs> minutes or something? I mean, people need to know about this mm -hmm. stuff. And I've been teaching it, um, teaching it ever since. Well, for some, so, Jeff, this is confusing and a little bit scary, but this should be the most exciting thing to learn about. Oh, absolutely. You're right on. In fact, when, I, when I'm in a classroom environment, I often ask the classes, what are your expectations for, for this study? And we'll spend some time there and, and find out what people want to find out. Um, what do they want to learn? What are, you know, and then I can work those questions into the class. Mm -hmm. um, one of the questions that I typically get is something like, what do you tell people who are afraid of the end times? And I tell them, well, then they don't understand the end times mm -hmm. because it is not to be feared by the Christians. And I think that's one of the big themes of, of having a pre-trib rapture is that we are taken out just like Noah was. Remember the story of Noah? Mm -hmm. And it says that Noah entered the ark and then destruction came upon them, meaning the world. Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus actually describes the time of the end in the terms of Noah's ark. And, and he says, just as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah and his family entered the ark. Mm -hmm. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And I think that's a perfect picture of the rapture. People will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until that day that God blows that trumpet, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and we will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever, First Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I think that we're going to also want to be collecting questions over these seven uh, times together from listeners, and we can respond to them as time permits. Maybe we can set aside some time, maybe not today, but in future episodes where we do some Q&A, uh, we get these questions in advance. So I do want to invite any listener with a question on end times, uh, send it over to me. You can text it or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. If you would like to text, that number is 877-933-2484. If you have a question about end times, we'd love to collect these questions and deal with them. We're going to be talking about uh, this topic for uh, seven uh, episodes with Jeff Redorn, and we're going to be doing it every other Tuesday at this time at five o'clock central time. So we'll take a little break when we come back. Lots more on End Times with Jeff Redorn.
Jeff Redorn is my guest, and we're starting our study of seven times we'll be talking to Jeff about end times, and I'm excited about this today. We're just getting things started, doing kind of a big overview, but so far, Jeff, uh, by asking listeners for questions, where they're flying in already. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what, should we end each show with a little question time, or do we wait all the way to the end? I think maybe... Oh, we don't wait till little... the we don't wait till the end. We maybe try to tackle a few at the end of every show. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, why study the end time? So, really quick, before we get into our overview, I mentioned this. It's a study of our hope. But remember, biblical hope is not like the world's hope. Mm-hmm. Right. The world's hope is I hope my team wins. Right. We don't know it's going to happen. We just want the the favorable outcome that we desire. Biblical hope is knowing that it's going to happen. So faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of things unseen. Hebrews 11, 1, that's biblical hope. The Greek word there is elpizo, and it means assurance of the things that God has promised, basically. Mm -hmm. God has promised it, so we can hope for it, but not as if we don't know it's going to happen. Uh, second reason we study the end times is to discern the times. First Thessalonians 5 talks about knowing the signs. Now, there's no date setting. Uh, there are many people who have tried to set the dates for the rapture and the end times, and I just don't think we can know the date of when God's plan for the end of the age is going to start or come upon us. But we see the stage being set, don't we? We see a lot of things coming into place. Now, I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I actually believe that that God has intended or written his plan for the end of the age so that every single generation since the time of Christ could believe that the rapture was going to happen, that the end times was going to begin in their lifetime. And they could have that expectation. And so I have that expectation as, as well. And I think that's exactly how God wants us to live, actually, hmm. with this expectation that today, that day when he blows that trumpet from heaven, and calls us home. That might be today. It might be next week. It might be next month. And I think God wants us to live our lives with that in sight. Mm-hmm. Number three, there's a crown of righteousness promised for all those who long for his appearing, Second Timothy 4, uh, 4, 8 says. So we get a crown. Now, when we talk about the, our judgment, our reward ceremony, the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema seat, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, but we get a crown. Did you know you get a crown? We get crowns. In um, heaven. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of kind of a sweet deal. It is number four blessing. The book of Revelation begins in chapter one. Blessed is he who reads these words and heeds the words that are written in it. So there is a blessing. When I took this class, my teacher had us keep a journal of blessings, and at the end of the class, we all talked about them. And I want to tell you that it was one of the most significant studies I'd ever taken 25, 30 years ago was on the book of Revelation. You will be blessed by understanding God's plan. But more importantly, number five, why do we study the end times? Yeah, I love to to compare scripture to scripture and put all the pieces together. But in the end, it's to know him, right? The planner. I love knowing God's plan for the end of the age and what is in store for this world but I study it and I teach it because I want people and I want me to know the planner that much more. Mm -hmm. So one of the first places that I want to start is in actually in revelation two and three and in revelation two and three, there's this concept of 
seven letters to seven churches. These were seven literal churches in, in John's day in the first century in Asia Minor. And Jesus has some words for each one of these seven churches. And in the formats of the letters are all basically the same. He has something good to say. He has a, an admonition. Here's what you need to work on. And then he has a promise. So the end of each one of these letters has a promise. And I want to read those seven promises. To the first church in Ephesus, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, if you go to the back of the book of Revelation and you see this new heaven, this new earth and this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, um, there is in that new Jerusalem, the tree of life. Well, where's the last time we saw the tree of life? was way back in the garden, mm -hmm. the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And the tree of life is going to come back in this new Jerusalem where we will get to dwell for eternity. And if you're an overcomer, God says you will have the right to eat from that tree. Cool. To the church in Smyrna, he says, to him who overcomes, he will not be hurt by the second death. Well, again, if you go to the back of the book of Revelation, you learn that the second death is being thrown into the lake of fire. And if you are an overcomer, you will, the second death will not hurt you at all. It's kind of sounding like this being an overcomer is pretty important. This is essential. Yes, I love this. All right, Pergamum. To, to the church in Pergamum, Jesus writes, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name on it. All right, that's we won't go into that, but being some of that hidden manna, remember Jesus was the manna from heaven. Mm -hmm. So it's a great promise of uh, basically participating with Christ in this eternity. For Thyatira, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Now, Revelation 19 applies that description to Christ here, it's just applying that description to him who overcomes. Wow. To him who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. Cool. Sardis. To him who overcomes like them will be dressed in white. I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father. Remember that passage where it says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a believer in Christ, he's going to acknowledge you. If you're an overcomer, you will be acknowledged by Christ to God the Father. To Philadelphia, to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. When you own something, do you write your name on your lunch pail, Bill, and on your shoes and your coat? Normally, yeah. Normally? Yeah. When um, you go to summer camp, you wrote your name on your underwear, that kind of thing. Exactly. Or your mom did that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's yours. Right. <laughs> well, we are God's. For those who are overcomers, he says, I will write on him the name of my God. Wow. That's a little you know, more significant. That, oh. He says, in fact, Jesus says, I bought men for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Uh, Paul says, you are not your own. You've been bought with your price. You are God's possessions. You belong to God. And he's going to write his name on. And then Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down on my father's throne. Let me read that again. 
to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. If you're an overcomer, you can sit with Christ on the throne of God with him. So, man, here's this word overcomers. It's the Greek nikeo. It's like, all right, what is an overcomer? Who is an overcomer? How do you become an overcomer? Well, do you know who wrote do you know who wrote the book of Revelation? Was John. John. The only other place this word shows up is in 1 John, which was written by John, and the Gospel of John. He's the only one who uses this word in, in this way. So he defines this term earlier in Scripture. In 1 John, he says this, 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdens. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so hold the phone. Hold the phone. So when you come to faith in Christ, you are an overcomer. Absolutely. John defines what is an overcomer and what we've overcome. We've overcome the world. Mm -hmm. So we are an overcomer. And who is that? Only he who believes that Jesus is. I wonder if some people thought that was a a state you had to try to achieve, that overcoming stage, but it is what you become when you become born again. Exactly. That's why I always include this in any one of my teaching, because I've heard what you just said often, Mm -hmm. where people teach, well, you need to overcome this or that or whatever. And in order to reach this state where you then can claim these promises. And I say, no, you reach that state when you believe in Christ and you are now an overcomer. And why are we an overcomer? Why have we overcome the world? Because Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when you believe in Jesus Christ and Christ is now in you, you're united with Christ, You are now an overcomer because he overcame the world and death and sin and all that. So he's an overcomer. He's in us. We are now overcomers. And all these promises that are described in the book of Revelation to him who overcomes are ours in Christ Jesus. Fantastic. I love that. And I think that's a powerful reminder. And maybe there's people hearing it for the first time that they didn't know they were overcomers, but now they do. Isn't that a great truth? Oh, it's fantastic. Church, you have overcome the world because you are in Christ Jesus who overcame Mm -hmm. the world. And so those are promises. I mean, think about that. We're going to sit with Christ on the throne of God. I mean, then Paul says it elsewhere. He says, don't you know that you will judge the world, even angels, he says? I mean, our inheritance is beyond, Paul writes, uh, first. Second Corinthians, second, I think it's in Second Corinthians, he says, The eye is not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man all the wonders that God has in store for us. I mean, it's our inheritance is even more than what we can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow, that's really good. All right, Jeff, I think I might take our last break at this point. I just got a nice text from a listener that said three years ago I took Jeff's class during the winter driving 
70 miles round trip to attend. Some nights the roads were so bad, but no way was I going to miss. So amazing <laughs> what I learned and what I didn't know. And his his or her comment is, people listening are in for a real treat. So we're going to take a little break and then continue. I don't know who that is, by the way, but your check's in the mail. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I appreciate that. We'll take a break. When we come back, lots more with Jeff Verdorn. We are talking about end times, and we'll be doing it. For the next seven times, Jeff and I chat. We'll be right back. Dorn, we're talking about end times, which is, I think it's a subject many people are fascinated with. They don't know, maybe they're confused with the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and how to piece everything together. Jeff is going to do his very best to, over the course of six more uh, times together, to discuss and walk us through uh, the end times. And Jeff, uh, this has been a fascinating hour so far to get things started. Where do we go from here? Well, let's go to the overview because... I want people to live with the end in mind. And if if you go all the way to the back of the book, we were just talking about overcomers, right? And Revelation 21.7 is now starting to describe this eternal state for our, for the believer. And that is this new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Remember, he said he's going to prepare a place for us. Mm-hmm. And we see, I think this is the place that he's prepared for us, and that's this city, and we have a whole chapter. This is the streets of gold, the pearly gates, the river of life, the tree of life, and it's amazing. In session 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 seven, we'll talk about it a little bit. But right now, I just want to read one verse, verse seven in Revelation 21. It says, to him who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. And so that's the final place where this word overcomer is referenced all the way at the back of the book. So it's cool. So let's do an overview, shall we? Mm-hmm. So what is God's plan for the end of the age? Now, like I said, this is something you just can't go to one chapter in the Bible in order to put this all together. This, The pieces of this plan are all over, and that's what we're going to try to make sense of over the next several uh, programs. But let's just do a high-level overview of the sequence of events that are in store for the world, according to God's plan for the end of the age. I believe the first event on that, that, on that prophetic calendar, if you will, is the rapture of the church. He will sound that trumpet the, at the last trumpets, it's called, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will, caught up together, will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever. So we are going to have to identify, well, what is this rapture? What does it look like? Who participates? What happens? And a key question is when, in other words, what's the timing of it? Not when is it going to happen like, you know, next Thursday, but in the timing of the end times, does it happen at the beginning? Does it happen at the middle or does it happen at the end? These are the three kind of most common uh, views of the timing of the rapture. But I believe that's the next event. The trump will sound and the church will be called home caught up together with him in the air, 
And then God will pour out his seven years of tribulation on the earth. Now, why seven years? Well, we will establish that next time I'm on in two weeks. We're going to have to start in Daniel chapter 9, and it's this prophecy for the 77s or 70 weeks of judgment on Israel. And it is an amazing prophecy, probably one of the most powerful prophecies in all of Scripture because it, it sets not only the timing of Christ's first coming. Yes, I said the timing of Christ's first coming. We all know some of the prophecies for Christ, such as he's going to be born in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. right? Have a ministry as a Nazarene. He's going to speak in parables and be betrayed by a friend and pierced for our transgressions and all that. But I don't think many Christians understand that the timing, the time of Christ's first coming was also prophesied in Scripture in Daniel chapter 9. So his first coming, so what does this have to do with his second coming? Well, the remainder of this Daniel's 70th seven of judgments is the end times, this seven-year period. So next time we will establish that there is a future seven-year period of tribulation coming upon the world. In fact, that's why I call, Isaiah calls it the time of Jacob's troubles. This is the final week or final seven, and we'll define those terms next time, of judgment that is coming upon Israel. Okay, mm-hmm. So we commonly call that the tribulation. Right. So there's a future seven-year tribulation coming upon the world. Now, what does that seven-year tribulation look like? Well, there's some detail, again, all over Scripture, but we'll look at Matthew 24. There's some detail. And then, of course, the book of Revelation, there's a lot of detail as well. So specifically, we have a first half, we have a middle, and we have a second half. And so Scripture talks about some of the events that happened in the first half of this tribulation period, where we have characters like the 144,000 that are sealed by God. We have two witnesses that come down from heaven. Uh, We have Satan uh, going out and trying to destroy the woman Israel. We have the Antichrist. We have the false prophet. Um, And this is where we have uh, things like the mark of the beast. Then in the second half of the tribulation, and we all have heard that, so we'll talk a little bit about that, this number 666. Well, Mm -hmm. what is that? What does it look like? Do Christians need to fear the mark of the beast? Are we going to be here during this, or are we going to be taken up before it happens? So there's lots of characters and lots of events that happen. Now, we won't have time to go through all of them, but we want to understand the key characters and the key events of that seven-year period of time uh, that's called the tribulation. One of the main events that happens right in the middle is talked about in Daniel, it's talked about in Matthew 24, Paul talks about it in Thessalonians, and it's talked about in Revelation, so it must be important. And that is this, that the Antichrist is going to set up an abomination of desolation in the temple of God, and Paul says, declaring himself to be God in the temple of God. So what does that tell us? Well, that is there a temple standing right now on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem or is there another building that's there right now? The Neg- answer is... Negatory. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Yeah, negatory. There's no temple standing there now. This temple got destroyed in 70 AD, 
and there's no temple that's been Jewish temple that's been standing there ever since. Around 600 AD, uh, Islam built a the Dome of the Rock, and that has been standing there ever since. But we know if we studied the end times that a temple needs to be standing at the midpoint of the tribulation in order for this the Antichrist to set up an abomination in the temple of God. Mm -hmm. Now, here's one of the most fascinating things. Many scholars for many years believed that the Dome of the Rock was standing on the precise location where the temple was to be built. And so that would cause a lot of conflict, right? Jews would want to build a temple where the Dome of the Rock is standing. There is actually significant evidence coming out of Israel in the last 20 years or more that the temple location is actually just south of where the Dome of the Rock is standing. And do you know what's standing there on the Temple Mount just to the south of the Dome of the Rock? The answer is nothing. There's nothing there. It's open space. And so there are many who study prophecy who are starting to believe that a temple, the next temple, the third temple, ready to be built by Israel today. If you study the Temple Institute in Israel, you can see that they, are, they have everything they need to start building the temple. And some believe that that temple could be rebuilt and not at right next to or just to the south of where the Dome of the Rock is. And those two buildings could potentially share that, that place. Now, that's not going to happen yet. There's a lot of controversy and a lot of conflict uh, between those two major religious systems, Judaism mm -hmm. and Islam, over the control and what happens up in that, that Temple Mount. It's the, one of the most contested pieces of real estate in the world, for goodness <laughs> sake. So. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second half, at the end of this seven-year period, is that second coming. We already read that from Revelation 19. Jesus comes back. He establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And that thousand-year reign, which is described in Scripture, actually all over Scripture, is going to be on earth. And that is why we pray. Remember why we pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So many in Christendom believe that we are in that kingdom right now, and while believers are participants of that kingdom, right, we're ambassadors from this kingdom in this, in this world. We're strangers and aliens in this foreign land, basically, from the kingdom of God, which is in heaven. That kingdom is going to come down to earth, and we will study some of the passages related to him establishing that kingdom for mm -hmm. a thousand years. How many of you long for a righteous king to come and replace earthly governments and rule this place in justice and truth and in righteousness? Man, I'll sign up for I that. I see a lot of hands up right now, just so you know, Absolutely. over Radio Land. Jeff, okay, this is a great start. Now, we should have talked about this probably in advance, about the questions, because I do have a bunch that have come in, but right now we're out of time. So I guess what we'll have oh. to do is designate a specific amount of time next uh, time we talk where we have Q&A for probably 10 minutes or so. So you're going to have to pace yourself accordingly. Uh, but this has been an outstanding start to the series, and some great questions have come in. So I'd like to do both next time we, uh, we pick up where we left off. Well, we'll pick up where we left off because that's not the eternal state yet. We still have then the new heaven, new earth, judgment day in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. Do you want to start next time with some questions or at least we'll reserve plenty of time at the end next time. Yeah, let's just make sure we, we reserve lots of time at the end. Um, question, uh, doesn't the number seven represent completion in the Bible? God created everything in seven days, six working, one day of rest. 
Yeah, it does. It's often used as that perfect, that complete, that infinite, that God number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, there's lots of sevens in Scripture. And can you answer quickly, who are the 144,000 in the Bible? Yes, it actually tells us who they are. Uh, it says it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who are saved after the rapture of the church, so they weren't believers at the, at the rapture, but are saved after the rapture, and they become, think of I describe them as super evangelists to preach the gospel mm. to the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about them. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the series, and I know listeners are as well. So I appreciate you jumping in and uh, taking us through end times. We'll do that over the course of the next seven times we meet, now down to six times. But uh, thank you so much, and I'll oh, talk to pleasure, you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Jeff Fordorn's Sounds been— Sounds good. Have a yeah, great day. You bet. Jeff Fordorn's been my guest. And that wraps up our show. If you missed any of it, you're going to probably want to head over to MyFaithRadio.com and start uh, start from the beginning. This is a lot of great stuff. But thanks to all my guests today, Rob Bluey and Dr. Greg Borgon and Jeff Redorn. Really a great show. I hope you have a great night. I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow. The prayer series will continue. Have a great night as you lay your head on the pillow. Know that God is working out his great plan in your life and he loves you. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.